I'm your host, writer Todd Smith. And today we're joined by Lancaster's Assistant Director of Community Development, Patty Garibay, and VP of Marketing and Sales at Race Communications, Jim Miller. Patty and Jim, welcome to the Public CEO Report. Thank you. Thank you. Good to have you here. Always great to have my friends in Lancaster here. You guys do lots of innovative work uh, up there in the high desert. And um, we just recently did a podcast with your city manager about some innovation going on in your public safety department. And um, But this subject of high-speed internet access we're going to talk about today is near and dear to my heart. Uh, and so I'm really excited to have Jim here with us, too, to talk about the innovations you guys are doing to bring high-speed internet access to the community um, in the city of Lancaster. And this also was inspired, Patty, by uh, you and I did a conversation uh, with another fellow down at uh, the California Contract Cities Association annual municipal seminar earlier this year, uh, discussing this exact subject and discussing efforts in the city of Lancaster to foment private sector investment in um, in high speed internet access and bringing it to the to the team. And Race Communications was identified as one of those partners that you're working with. Um, so, and then finally, I'll just say I'm a nerd. I'm a big nerd. I'm an, uh, before having the opportunity to. Um, build up to Pepe Smith and work in the local government communications world. I was uh, um, very deeply involved in a VC-backed startup and ran technology for a regional staffing firm. So I can discuss TCPIP and subnetting and things like that with the best of them. Well, maybe not with the best of them, but at a neophyte level enough to be dangerous. Uh, so I've always been passionate about this particular issue. And then last but not least, I just have to say, at the risk of starting this podcast with a diatribe on my part, um, we saw during the pandemic and uh, all the push for people to stay home um, and students who weren't able to go to school um, that uh, access to the internet kind of became like oxygen. You just had to have it if you were gonna be successful. And there were stories about kids having to park themselves outside of Taco Bells to get access to the internet to do their schoolwork. Uh, there were super innovative programs done um, by cities up in Northern California to hand out um, hotspots to enable their kids to have access to the internet. Uh, and so we saw a big scramble, but it just was a further reminder that um, high-speed internet access and access to it is fundamental. It's a economic development issue. It's a bunch of issues all wrapped in one. Um, and so having conversations like this for me, where I get to bring some professionals to the table and talk about what you're doing to actually make it happen, not just plan, but actually put uh, make access available is super important to me. So thank you for bearing with me with my little diatribe there, but I'm really passionate about this particular subject and um, look forward to hearing from you both. So um, real quick, Patty, how'd you, how did you end up in the city of Lancaster? Give me a little bit of your background. Sure. So I have now been at the city of Lancaster for 18 years and uh, very fortunate to work on a, you know, with a city that is so innovative, like you mentioned earlier. Uh, my career actually started in the Parks and Recreation Department. So I, you know, oversaw uh, special events and community events and things of that nature, um, and then transitioned into several different roles of the city. Um, currently, I'm in the uh, Community Development Department and oversee planning and permitting. Um, but uh, in my my past job, I was working on you know some special projects, and, and this was one of the, the projects that came across my desk. And you know, just like you, I was very um, you know it was very interesting and, and something that uh, you know was very excited to work on. So um, so yes, that's a little bit about about my history. And we've been really lucky to work with Jim and, and the team at Race Communications to do some really good things. And we're excited to to have this project completed in the next couple of years. Awesome. And so, Jim, tell me about yourself and race communications. Sure. 
Um, I'll give you the condensed version of myself, but I'll date myself here. I, I actually started in the telecommunication industry back with Dick Clark, and we were building um, hybrid fiber to the home uh, networks down in Baja, California. And so I had my family resided up in Kern County, just north of Lancaster. And I saw there was a need for internet and there was no provider in our region. This was late nineties. And I started one of the first wireless ISPs up there. And as that started developing, the aerospace industry was beginning to change and really heavy on the space side. And we um, started getting Northrop Grumman, Lockheed, and some of the larger um, companies coming into the Mojave Air and Spaceport, but there was no connectivity. And so I was able to team up with a fiber carrier and extend through microwave shots into the airport to, to provide them service. Then the wind energy began to take off as well. And so our company continued to grow. And in early 2000, I met a guy named Raul Alcaraz, who's our CEO of Race, and just had a lot of synergies that we were both focused on delivering into the rural markets that were considered unserved or often forgotten about by the, the larger telecommunication companies. And so we teamed up together and merged our companies together and went after some of the California Advanced Service Fund grants. Those were grants that the uh, California PUC uh, was responsible for. And we built out over $150 million of fiber to the home networks throughout the Eastern Sierras. And then also uh, up in Northern California around the um, Grass Valley, Nevada County area. And so as that began to expand, I started looking back in my home territory and I said, Lancaster is a large city, 170,000 people, 60,000 plus homes, but it's really underserved. It doesn't have quality internet. And so that's where we started working with the uh, city manager, Jason Cottle, and started developing a plan of how we could attack the city. Okay, so you have installed, it sounds like, to be clear, both wireless and wired uh, services uh, for internet access, correct? Correct. And the work that you did uh, for, I mean, rural communities are tough, right? The economics are tough. You'll run a mile of, of fiber and get two households. Right. Or five households or 10 households. Whereas if you do it in Lancaster, you could get, I don't know, that 10,000 households. Right. Like you get a lot. So uh, the work that you were able to do in the Sierras that you described and up in Nevada County, was that was that made possible because of subsidies from the government to make that happen with those program or what what made that work for those particularly rural areas? So those areas had um, there was federal money available um, that we looked at, but the state money had a grant that was available that covered 60% of the infrastructure costs initially. And so by looking at models where 60% was covered through the grant on a reimbursement basis, it panned out that we could go to those less dense areas like that and build out fiber to the home networks. And the reason that we stuck with the fiber technology was we wanted to build a product that was gonna last this generation and the next generation. Something that was gonna be 50 to 100 years, not give them the immediate covering of, you know, here's your access to internet, but in three years, it's going to be outdated technology. We wanted the technology to last and fiber is that technology. And so we were very fortunate to be able to be creative and innovative in our ways of deploying that, uh, developing some of the, at the time, it was the early 2000s, there wasn't a lot of product out there that was meant to, there was fiber going to businesses, but not fiber going to residents. Right. And so, um, 
we have a bunch of partners in our company and they're they're based out of the Bay Area. And so being around that technology. Um, so basically with with that technology innovation that they had, we were able to develop um, the enclosures, the delivery method to get the fiber all the way into the home in an economical format. And that allowed us to expand greatly. And then in 2020, we had private investors come in and said, let's look at continuing this model of what you guys are doing at a faster rate. And so that's where we've been able to expand and get into the Lancaster market. And um, just to, for the clarity, and then I, Patty, I want to bring you in to describe kind of what was going on in Lancaster a couple of years ago that inspired this need, right? Because Jim referred to it as an underserved market. So I want to know what that means so other cities could self-identify. Uh, but Jim, to be clear, for race, um, and you know, I don't want this, this podcast is not a race commercial, right? Uh, but you're actually getting this done and I want to prove it can get done. So I appreciate mm -hmm. that you're you're here to share uh, the innovation you're bringing. And it's pretty interesting for me too, that you've been able to tackle so many of those rural markets. It gives me hope I could go look for a house in Nevada County that would have internet access actually. That'd be uh, that'd be nice. Um, given that my entire company works from home, that's particularly uh, uh, helpful. So um, race communications, you not only install fiber, but then are you also the ISP, meaning you provide the internet access too? Correct. And a customer, when they get an invoice, they get a customer, they get an invoice from race communications for their internet. Correct. So race is actually a licensed CLEC in California. So we're a competitive okay. local exchange carrier. So we are regulated by the CPUC. Um, and we're proud of that. And what that means is we build a quality network. We're not just delivering the internet to the house, but we're delivering it to them with the proper technology behind it that we have redundancy. California has their PSPS is the power safety, power shutoffs. And so our network is built to be able to sustain those and be able to operate throughout them and still provide the 911 services on our phone lines that we offer. The quality of the internet now uh, is still there during the power outages. All right, perfect. Thank you. So all in, like it's you are a direct head-to-head -head competitor with any of the big names that people are used to seeing when they're currently paying their internet bills. Um, right. And obviously, I'm sure you would say better for various reasons. We can get into that. So Patty, tell me, like what what. Why was what does it mean Lancaster was an underserved market and this became an initiative that the city had an interest in? Right. So I think underserved for us was that, you know, we, we did have um, service providers, but uh, but one, they were limited. Right. So we had one or two service providers and, um, you know, the, the fiber is really what made a difference um, because there wasn't a lot of the, the real fiber connectivity. Um, and there was really no, you know, at least from our perspective, there wasn't any identified growth in that area. And we knew that, you know, as technology changes and as people use their tablets or, you know, have different things that they're using in the home, you need a, a different type of connection. And, uh, and that wasn't happening. So, um, so in terms of underserved, you know, we've always had internet connection here, but it just, we knew that there, there was an opportunity to have something better for our residents. And, um, you know, obviously, I don't think any of us are here to try to bash on other yeah. providers. Mm -hmm. uh, but suffice it to say, there was an incumbent, I assume there's an incumbent cable company and an incumbent telecom company who were not making significant investments in expanding internet access in the area. Is that a fair statement? Correct. And I think that really came to light um, during the pandemic. Um, and, and, you know, as you mentioned, I mentioned already myself, um, we are a very innovative 
city. Our council thinks different. They do things that are unique and they're willing to, to push things forward. Um, so they had already been looking at a lot of different technology initiatives um, and a lot of what, you know, is required when you're doing these technology initiatives, such as, you know, let's say uh, public cameras or, um, you know, just different things. You need to have a good internet connection. And so we, in our, you know, our council was already, looking at, you know, how do we, how do we improve this, um, not only for our residents, but also just so that our services, so that we can provide additional technology services. Um, and yeah, so what I'm hearing partly you say too, is that there was a recognition that if we could expand fiber everywhere in the city, it would allow us to be able to cook up all our city infrastructure, SCADA systems, camera systems, uh, you know, flock systems, whatever it may be, uh, shot detection systems, you know, and a lot of public safety obviously is a big investment for Lancaster, uh, but be able to connect all those things, right? So you could have more centralized management monitoring and all the benefits that are supposed to come with connectivity. Right. And in addition to that, like, you know, as I kind of alluded to, <clears throat> I think the pandemic showed us that there was a lack, um, that there was a, a need, right? Um, when students are all working from home and, you know, or sorry, not working from home, but learning from home and parents are working from home, you need to have a certain type of service to allow for that. Um, and we did have a lot of, you know, folks that were, that, that didn't have, you know, that what they needed in order to, to continue to learn and, you know, wirelessly and to, to work from home. So yeah. I think that really kind of helped speed up our efforts. And, uh, and that's when race came along. So, right. <laughs> uh, and then just, uh, my impression is, uh, so obviously there's still two incumbent providers from like traditional, uh, telecom and, uh, um, cable companies. And then um, obviously race is now in the market doing some work there. And we'll get to a, a question here about extent of that uh, implementation. And then is there anybody else in the market too that that's that's out there pushing an alternative as well for internet access? Yes. So <clears throat> the city also has a, a partnership with a company called Sci-Fi Networks. Um, and they are doing, um, they're, they're, they are also um, installing fiber throughout the community or some areas in the community. Um, the only difference is that they are not a CLEC, which Jim pointed out, they're, you know, regulated by the PUC. Um, Sci-Fi is, um, they, they basically, you know, they have a, a relationship with, this, with the city where they, you know, are able to install fiber in the right of way. Um, they will work with a third party to provide that ISP service. So they're a little... Uh, a little bit different, but they're, you know, similarly providing that option to our customers. And I think that, you know, the message is, you know, we, we, we want to have options for our customers, right? Because in, in a community, when you have options, you can pick what's best for you. So we have really, you know, welcomed anyone who wants to, to provide the service for our customers and to help, you know, strengthen our, um, our connectivity here in the city. Yeah. Um, uh, that makes sense. And I, I agree. I mean, I've talked to a number of uh, professionals in the space and they generally observe and, and you know, upstarting uh, upstarts that want to take on incumbents. And they generally observe that when they come to town, start offering their services, prices suddenly drop with the incumbent providers pretty aggressively to match them. And I assume race, uh, Jim, you've seen uh, that probably happen in markets where there are incumbents you're, you're taking on and, and um, competing with. Uh, and we can talk about that in a second, too. So. <clears throat> Final, I guess, clarifying point, I just want to make for the audience benefit. Sci-Fi is a name actually that people see a lot. Um, they were very active in a number of cities in California. Um, they, to your point, they'll lay fiber, they put in the hardware, and then they go find an ISP to come in and actually provide the services, do the customer service and whatnot. So they really just want to lay fiber all day long. Um, and that's different 
than race, which not only wants to lay the fiber, but then also wants to provide the customer service, provide the internet access and all the elements on top of it. So it's kind of like single stack of everything right there, right? So that's just a, a clarifying difference between those two alternatives. Um, and my understanding is too, with sci-fi is, they, they may even partner with more at time. Maybe I'm wrong about this. They may at times partner with more than one entity to provide access so you can get several competitors on there potentially. Um, but in any event, at this point now, you're ending up with a situation in Lancaster where you have at least four potential providers, probably not in front of every household in the community, but certainly the goal is to get as many possible providers in front of every household, running by every house in the community at this point. Okay. So, so um, Jim, tell me... Um, what was the, like, when you went to the city, what was that approach like? What is the nature of that partnership you're doing? Obviously, as a CLEC, that gives you certain rights to access to right away. Um, but, you know, usually these things start with partnership and not just a cram down. So tell me about that experience and where you guys are at in the implementation. Okay. Um, you nailed it right there. You know, as a CLEC, we do have the rights to be in the right of ways and the public easements and so forth. Um, but unlike a larger uh, LEC that might just come in and drop the applications on their desk, we go in and approach it differently. And we know that we're going to be here not just to build it, we're going to be here to operate it. So the next 30 to 50 years, you're going to see us in the community contributing to the community. And so doing that, we want to start that relationship on day one. So when we sat down with Jason and his team, we knew that they had rules on the book of how to dig up a street, how to repair that street. But not, cities don't have a brand new utility company coming to them every day and saying, we're going to touch every single one of your streets, all 60,000 plus homes, and we're going to do it over the next two years. Right. <laughs> and so we're like, we're going to break some processes. We'll probably make some mistakes on our side. But you're going to hear me say this a lot, Ryder. The one simplest thing to do is communicate. So how do we open up? clean channels of communication so that when we do run across an obstacle, we can get over that obstacle very quickly instead of having three, six, nine months delays that end up costing the project more or potentially decreasing the size of the project to a smaller amount of homes. And so I think going into a city like Lancaster, where Jason is very innovative, he has passed that same skill set down to his team. And so the team was very open to talking about new ideas. And one of them was called micro-trenching. Mm -hmm. So in our industry, micro-trenching is not like brand new that just came out in the last couple of years, but it's brand new to do at a high scale. And we know that roads are very important to cities and they're very expensive to repair. And so with the micro-trenching, we brought in a bunch of different um, subcontractors of ours to do demos and come up with a creative way of how do you want us to to complete the top code of it. This is just one, one example of a process that we did. And so we worked through it and came up with a new standard in the city that allowed us to deploy. You ask, why is micro-trenching important? It's because we can build at a pace three times faster than we can if we were to do it through traditional boring or trenching type methods. At the same time, for the residents, micro-trenching is very clean. We're in and out of the street on the same day with final product sealed and they're driving on it 30 minutes after our trucks have left the area. So it's a very new project, but it's also a very clean and environmentally safe project too that the consumers end up liking because there's not dirt flying around, there's not equipment sitting in their front yards and so forth. We know it's gonna disrupt the flow of things as we come through, but we try through that communication 
to forewarn the customers. We send out door tags. Uh, we have our crews go out in advance to door tag the doors. We send out letters. Um, all of that is great in communication, but at the same time we work with the city and we have the same understanding that we know we won't contact 100% of the people. Not everyone will get the message. So when that one or 10 people don't get the message and come to you upset, how do we want to handle it? Right. And so we talked about that in advance. And so when that does happen, we're all able to address it accordingly and everyone walks away happy. Yeah. Um, I mean, I tell you, you could trench all day long in front of my house if you'll bring me fiber internet, right? <laughs> with, with incredible speeds, go for it, buddy. Uh, so I, I wanna unpack a couple of things you just talked about there. I'm gonna, it's very esoteric, but I'm going to drill into it because it, I do think it's a fundamental game changer for enabling fiber optic to the home and this and you know i draw a distinction here too because like there is i well maybe i should ask this question first of you jim there's a piece of fiber that runs into some box near a neighborhood and then uh there's a piece of fiber that goes from that box into the house is that correct correct and so you actually have a fiber a modem sitting in a house that accepts a fiber strand into it and then it turns around and becomes a wi-fi signal or ethernet cabling or some such thing correct Absolutely. And that's different than sometimes what you hear is allusions to fiber access when in reality it's fiber to a point in the neighborhood and then it becomes like a copper line or or whatnot. Or in the case of cable systems, it's usually uh, fiber to a box in the neighborhood and then it's a coax cable that gets into the house and that only has so much throughput capability. Um, so the but the thing I particularly unpack there is this micro trenching. So trenching generally is a foot plus wide swath of dirt you're digging down with a um, backhoe and uh, having a lot of street repair to get through and it goes slowly. Um, micro trenching from what I've seen in online demonstrations and YouTube videos, because I'm that much of a nerd, uh, is basically a giant skill saw blade cutting down, creating about a two or three inch wide uh, uh, crevice that goes down, uh, and I'll ask you how many inches you were typically going down, but you go down below the, the surface of the street itself, and then you're able to just unroll and put your fiber into the street to um, essentially move it down the street and get, get, get the connection. And so that pacing, to your point, it's about three times the speed, and I assume at least three times the savings, uh, if you're able to micro trench, and that completely changes the game in terms of the economics of running um fiber in front of every house in a community is that a fair description of it of it yeah, absolutely you know and, and like you said that the micro trench is only about two inches wide and by doing that and not in eliminating the asphalt restoration process that you'd have to do in traditional that's where the savings comes into play um so patty how did your public works guys react when uh when they were told they were going to be micro trenching on the streets well, you know what? I think like Jim hit hit the nail on the head. Um, I think the leadership that we have um, was supportive. And I think, you know, because we just innately as a city are very creative and we think different, you know, instead of like shying away from it or saying, absolutely not. We said, you know, let's let's figure it out um, and let's let's figure out a way to make it work for all of us. And I think, um, as, De as uh, Jim mentioned, there was a day where we literally spent the day looking at different demonstrations um, to, to figure out a way where we could work together. Right. Where, where uh, race could accomplish their goal, but the city could also ensure that we're not creating any issues for ourselves or for residents. Um, so I think I think our public works. 
a team were very, um, they were open to it. And again, because of the communication and the partnership, we were able to, to come to a good resolution that worked for both teams. Um, so I love that you innovated to actually sample some ways to do the micro trenching and then do the, the top fill, the, the backfill into it. Um, I think the big concern with public works there and I, you know, it's, um, uh, public works gets graded on the quality of streets, right? So they are very sensitive and I well understand why they're sensitive to somebody cutting up their streets and entrenching into them or creating any sort of issues. So um, it's interesting that you went through kind of a, an experiment to see different options and provide some options in the city. What, um, how much micro trenching have we done? Have you done at this point? And what kind of resiliency are you seeing in the, in the top patch methodology that's being deployed? I'll, I'll throw that to either one of you, Patty or Jim. I'll throw it to Jim. <laughs> uh, so we've done well over a million plus feet of, of the micro trenching throughout the city. And um, I think what we've seen is it is a new technology. Um, when we first got into a couple hundred thousand feet of it, we were not pleased with ourselves with the top coating. And so working with that, you know, the, the goal, it was nice that the city and race have the same goal. We want to complete this project and bring this to the residents, but at the same time, we want it to be a, a clean project. Like you just said, the, the public works guys, they take pride in their streets, and we do too. Mm -hmm. And we saw that the top coat, because we were in the um, curb area, that cars turning on it were ripping up the top coat. We didn't like it. So we went back with their public works team and we came up with a better solution and then went back and redid the initial 200,000 feet to correct it to the new standard. And I think that's what makes race different is we're going to sit there at the table with them and we're going to make it right. We want everyone to be happy at the end of the day. So at this point now, you guys feel like you've come up with a pretty good approach and formula that's going to at least last long enough until they get to repaving those streets? Yes. All right. Uh, and uh, one super esoteric question, but I got to ask it about how many inches down are you are you micro trenching? So we're at 26 to 28 inches as deep as we can go. Wow. OK, that is deep. Well, that's uh, impressive that you're able to make it affordable for you and still go that deep, because obviously the deeper you go, it can get more expensive. And I know at some point there's a step function once you get beyond it, because then the equipment becomes much more different. Um, uh, uh, and a broad point, too, uh, that I'm sure you're aware of is at some point in the last couple of years, maybe two years ago, three years ago, the state of California actually passed a law asking cities to start developing micro trenching standards to really enable this technology. And I haven't um, I haven't frankly been tight enough to see how that's advancing around California. I don't know. Do you have any observations on that in other cities you're working in, Jim? It's slow. And it goes back to your statement of you have to respect that the public works guys, they work very hard, limited budget sometimes and take pride in their streets. And so when you bring some change that's totally new and doesn't have history behind it to the table and, and you're bringing a new company, they've sure. heard of an AT&T, but they haven't heard of a race. Right. And so with that, um, it takes building that trust and that relationship with them to be able to get them to adopt. Um, those are the cities that are not innovative. If they're innovative, like, Lancaster is and we sit down at the table and we brainstorm it out like like I said we bring in the demos and it definitely wins them over in other cities we've also seen where once we won them over they then use some of our vendors for the crack and seal and their other road repairs because they're like oh my gosh this technology is amazing so that's part of 
race trying to give back and also being a member of their community for the next 30 plus years. We're not here just to build it today and leave. We're here to build it and stay and make, make the city a better city. Yeah. Well, part of the, and I think one of the things that I think is important about this podcast and our efforts with public CEO uh, and one of the great things about cities is just learning from one another. Right. So I'm sure uh, at some point Lancaster would be more than happy to host an APWA gathering or some other such event uh, to bring a bunch of public works folks together and city manager types to take a look and see what the reality is of what it takes and how the technology works and what the uh, what the methodologies are for for mm-hmm. the patch up after you've done your micro trenching. So it's good to see those things. We've certainly have uh, the city of uh, Culver City has been doing micro trenching technology with a ISP provider down there as well, and has had uh, from everything I've heard pretty good success uh, and has been able to now roll out another competitor. Um, in that for the, for their community. So, Patty, what does it mean? I mean, you you now have, um, I, and I, I kind of shuddered when I read this, but 10 gigabit internet access, is that really what true? And it's yeah, 10 gigabit. So if, I, if I'm a Lancaster resident and I'm fortunate enough to be in one of the neighborhoods where Race uh, has already come by and done an install, I can call up Jim and get 10 gigabit internet access at my house? Yeah, that's okay. right. Uh, yeah. My uh, my uh, Overwatch and uh, Diablo days are are going to get long here. Uh, okay, so um, 10 gig that is incredibly fast. Um, what does that mean for their community and uh, economic development from that perspective? Yeah, I was going to say it mean it means a lot of different things. Um, you know, just from a, a, a just a regular resident being able to connect and do the things that they want to do in their home, it makes things much easier. Um, I think from an economic development perspective, it really puts us in a really good position um, because that is a very attractive thing to offer, you know, to, to businesses that are looking to expand in Lancaster. So um, so actually, so absolutely, there's an economic development story there. There's a, you know, quality of life. Um, and then just, again, integrating things and, and being up to par uh, with technology, being able to implement things that, you know, require that fiber connectivity. I think it's, it's a game changer, really. Yeah, that's incredible. Um, what is the is rate uh, Jim? Or do you plan on being making it to every corner of the city? Is that part of the build out plan? Correct. Um, I don't have the exact count, but it's a little over sixty thousand homes. Mm-hmm. At the same time, while we're building the city, the city has um, introduced us to pockets that are maybe in the unincorporated areas that um, also have homes that that are in need of, of internet. And so we're looking to not only build the 60,000 plus, but we're looking at the surrounding neighborhoods to see if it makes sense to build them to them as well. Interesting. Um, and I assume partly that was a commitment you made early on about not cherry picking the community for just the affluent neighborhoods to go after where you're more likely to be able to sell, but instead you committed to covering the entire city. Correct. Uh, and I, Patty, from your perspective, I assume that was a talking point or a point of interest you had, even though technically they're CLAC, they could come in and do what they want uh, within limits. Um, that was a point of conversation that you had as trying to make commitments to all your community members. Absolutely. That was really attractive. Um, the other thing that I know Race offers is they have different um, internet packages for customers. So 
you know, not everyone uh, needs or wants a 10 gigabyte package. Some folks just need something, you know, a little bit. So they, they need something, but maybe not at that level. And there's there's basically something for everyone. Um, and then from a, you know, even for, for folks that are um, either, you know, low income or socio, you know, there's some, some economic issue there. Um, there's opportunity for them to still have internet. And that's what we want, right? We want that connectivity for everyone in the community. We don't want this to just be for certain people or certain parts of town. We want the service for all of our residents. Because as you mentioned, this is really a necessity. It's no longer a, you know, you get to pick and choose who has internet. It, it really, it's like water. It's like electricity. You need to have inter, internet service in order to do pretty much anything these days. So we wanted to make sure that that was available to everyone in the city and it will be. Jim, could you just, and <clears throat> just for context, uh, provide mm -hmm. uh, some economics around the packages you guys offer? Just like, if I want to get that 10 gig speed, what's it going to cost me, buddy? But then, you know, sure. for the for the state, um, <clears throat> for the low-income uh, opportunity that I believe is almost required of you as a CLEC or as a regulated entity, what what are the economics on that and the, the speed access? So, so race has been um, very simplistic from day one in our packages. Back in the early 2000s when we started, um, we were looking at starting, this was about 2005, we were gonna start with a 100 meg package. By the time we started the project, we said, doesn't make sense, let's just do a gig. And so we've been doing a gig from the, the mid 2000s on and the gig price starts at $70 and that includes a the latest uh, Wi-Fi router, um, Wi-Fi 6E and gives them coverage throughout the house. If they wanna jump up to our 10 gig, which is a brand new product that we deployed with Lancaster, that one is $120 a month and comes with a phone line. So they have unlimited domestic calling as well with that one and, and includes a router as well and then for your um i guess your package that offers connectivity for lower income community members what's that that's a great one so um we had a basic package around the state and like i said we started doing the fiber to the home in the mid 2000s and it was 25 dollars for 25 meg as we got into lancaster and our ceo is is very adamant about everyone deserves the same quality and the same opportunities with access we said okay california and the federal government has come out with the affordable care plan for 30 dollar credit for uh, families if they qualify and we came up with a 100 meg symmetrical plan special price just for those uh, residents so that it equals zero dollars out of pocket to them Wow. So they qualify for ACP, they get a 100 meg symmetrical fiber internet connection to their home with a router. Wow. Okay. Uh, that's a phenomenal offer. Um, and we saw this during the pandemic that, you know, the pandemic definitely brought light to our industry. It, it showed that, as you said here, you're, you're doing a, a, you have remote employees. Upload is now an important thing that it's not that the cable operators don't want to offer higher speeds, their technology of copper just didn't allow them to. And so we feel that we shouldn't leave those neighborhoods on technology that don't allow their, their kids, their uh, parents to be able to work from home or study from home and have further education, higher education from home. And so that 100 meg package allows them to have, yes, entertainment, they can down, you know, stream movies and so forth but they can also attend classes online. They can also do their work from home, live in Los, you know, work in Los Angeles, but live in Lancaster. Yeah, so actually that kind of raises, and this is both Patty, kind of an economic development question, and just a, 
I mean, it's also kind of addresses California's housing crisis. Um, the city, Lancaster is a growth area, right? It's known for having more affordable housing, certainly than than communities down down uh, in the LA basin. Um, uh, and it's one of the reasons why people move to the high desert in general, and then they have to go through a big commute. Um, obviously, as there's been more work from home, uh, that becomes, uh, it kind of opens up the opportunity for remote workers to spend less time on freeways, more time just working from home, but that assumes they have a very stable high-speed internet uh, connection. Um, I, in particular, though, I think about that, is that 10 gig or in that one gig, those are both symmetric as well, so they both offer 10 gig up, 10 gig down? Correct. So if I'm doing a heavy edit on a video, because I'm part of the creative economy in Hollywood, and I wish to edit some content and do some high-end uh, video effects work, I can actually do that work, get the content, and then upload it and not be sitting around for five days while my content uploads. I mean, that's really incredible when you consider the nature of the economy in the Burbank, um, Hollywood area that you're trying to, that you could potentially cater to from Lancaster. That's uh, very impressive. Absolutely. Um, Right, it opens up that uh, opens up offer opportunities for people who normally, you know, would be they'd have to live in LA or live close to that, you know, the, the, the studios, and now they can live anywhere and they can, you know, continue to work and 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 do the things that they need to do, having that, you know, high quality internet. Yeah, um, I, I would also observe from a comms guy perspective uh, when I do my work with cities, having residents who actually spend time in the community and don't just get up every morning at six a.m. and drive away and then come back at seven o'clock at night. Um, tends to mean they get more involved in the community, more engaged in the community, um, and that has certain upside benefits, right, for creating more cohesion in community and collaboration and uh, things of that nature, right? So stronger community connections. Um, uh, Patty, I guess, you know, this all sounds like a no-brainer in terms of why you wouldn't go find a partner like Erase Communications to bring into the community and figure out how to innovate past the micro-trenching uh, question um, to advance this. Uh, you know, uh, like what's the, what's been the worst thing that's happened so far? And it's like, what, what's the downside? Has there been any? I can't think of any downside. No. I mean, I think as Jim mentioned, you know, we, we, there's been some lessons learned and there's things that, you know, you can't anticipate everything. So, you know, there's been a couple of, um, you know, areas where we've had to improve or, you know, we've had to, you know, get back to residents, answer questions, but overall, I think that the project has run really smoothly. Um, the one thing I think that race or race does a lot of things well, but I think they've been really good, um, even from a customer service perspective. So I know when I've had any questions from the public or, you know, people asking about, oh, well, when is this going to happen in my neighborhood? Race is extremely, um, you know, they're very quick to respond to the customer. Um, they've also, you know, they have their, you know, race communications Lancaster page where, They've been communicating with the Lancaster residents for probably over a year now, um, answering questions and, you know, letting them know that, you know, they're, they're coming to their neighborhood soon. You know, they, they have an email list where people can get additional information. So um, I can't really think of anything negative. I think it's just, you know, there's things that you don't anticipate. But I think the, the good thing is through this partnership and because we're on the same page in terms of, you know, providing a good service to Lancaster residents, we've been able to work through everything and we've been able to communicate effectively. And, uh, and that's why I think, you know, we're still on track to complete the project um, within the timeframe that we had originally discussed, you know, a year and a half ago. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, it's been a, it's been a good project for us. Um, any details in those lessons learned you want to share with our audience for this sake of, uh, helping them 
cross the learning chasm as fast as possible? I would say just, you know, keeping the lines of communication open um, and, and I guess going into it, understanding that, you know, nothing is nothing will be perfect. Right. But uh, being able to think creatively, communicate with one another um, and then, you know, the things that, you know, that we could anticipate would be problematic. Right. So we know that, uh, you know, we want to make sure that we give people ample notice when race is going to be in their neighborhood. So from day one, race has been out there, you know, as Jim mentioned, with their flyers, with their, you know, their marketing team, getting the word out about things so that um, things don't, you know, happen. And then we're, we're uh, playing catch up. It's really, right. you know, we anticipate that people are going to, you know, have some questions, concerns, we, you know, address it uh, proactively. And then we, you know, we may still have some questions here and there, but it's not, it's not a problem. We're just, you know, answering a couple questions. Um, so I think just being proactive is really important. Um, and uh, and again, just not thinking, you know, something will come up and, and being able to think creatively and, and figure out solutions is, is really important. Yeah, I, I, um, I've been having conversations lately with some of my clients about the idea that your city council needs to express to their management team what their level and threshold of risk taking is in order to innovate and do do new things, right? You can't tell your management team, go innovate, but don't take any risk. Right. Try, you know, try something new, but don't make, if it blows up, we're all hosed. Right. Appropriate risk, right? That doesn't mean you go out and you, you, you know, take the entire city treasury and put it in Tesla stock. It just right. means like, what are the appropriate risks we can take here to try something new and see if it works? And if it works, then rinse and repeat and keep doing it over and over again, right? And I think from the experimenting with different methodologies for resolving um, and patching up the micro-trenching to trying to go out and find a partner to make this happen and work with them, um, that, you know, there were risk elements in, in doing that and putting putting city effort behind it, but you took risk and you're getting some earned rewards now for the community as a result of taking that risk. I would also assume, Patty, that the city isn't involved in marketing this. Like that's all race communications. Your job was just to be a good partner with them and help them get their infrastructure in as fast as possible. And it's it's on race to sell their services, put their capital at risk and make the investment. Is that correct? Correct. I mean, we, you know, we obviously, the city does have publications and we have things to, our, our job is obviously to introduce people and again, to make a, so that the greater community knows that this is coming, you know, so we have our different tools that we use. We have our Outlook publication that comes out quarterly and we've done a couple of articles there to just, you know, one, to let the community know that this was something that was happening in the community and then to just kind of provide updates. Um, so we've definitely communicated with the, the residents that way. We have partnered with, um, so the program that Jim mentioned, the um, the, the connectivity um, uh, program, right, that provides that, uh, that the subsidy for, for low-income customers. We're working together to get that message out because that's a really important message to tell, right? So we want our residents who qualify for this program to be able to, to um, participate. So that's something where we will help um, promote you know, that program and, and, and encourage people to participate. Um, you know, something else that race communications has done is they, they took it upon themselves to become a, a sponsor in the community. So they, um, you know, they come out to our city events, just like any other, you know, city sponsor would um, to promote their programs on their own and to, you know, just be a part of the community. So it's not just that, you know, we're here to provide a service or really a part of that community answering questions, being proactive and helpful. So. Yeah, that's how that's how we work together. <clears throat> and from race race communication perspective, uh, what were you, the uh, experiences you had with the city that made the partnership work well that other cities 
uh, would benefit from knowing about, right? Or could could reflect on and how they could partner with you. It, it's that communication word again. Um, you'd be surprised. This is a $70 million project that we, we brought to Lancaster and they, they welcomed us with open arms to sit down at the table and talk about it. We go to other cities and I won't name them, but we can't even get in the door to sit down and talk because they're more closed-minded on newer technology or maybe the city management doesn't believe that the technology needs to be there for now or in the future. They're not innovative like Lancaster was. So it was very refreshing to sit down with Jason and his team to, to have that innovation that we need this. This is a project that yes, there's a need today, but this will take us to the next 50 plus years in Lancaster and set us on a, on a, a good path I attended some aerospace uh, meetings uh, in the last year, and they were talking about when they bring in engineers from outside of California, um, from MIT and so forth, that the average stay is three to five years versus if they homegrow them. Well, to homegrow them, you've got to have innovative ideas to keep that next generation. We've got great engineers out in the Antelope Valley and Lancaster region, but how do we take their family members how does that generation get to stay here? It's by doing things like bringing in 10 gigabits. That's gonna give them access that they would have if they went somewhere else to reach higher education, to reach entertainment. If they wanna become a gamer and a programmer, they have the ability to do it from home. Like you said, if they wanna work in the, the Hollywood industry, they can do that without having to drive in the traffic down there. They can edit and do their videos right there in Lancaster. So it's that type of technology that the city and race saw eye and eye on. And that is what always keeps us focused that that's our end game. That's where we want to get to. So when we have a hiccup along the way, hey, let's just talk this out and work it out. Did we make a mistake? Is it something new? How do we get around this? How do we how do we overcome it so that the project doesn't stop? And so that that's the key. And it's so easy, but yet so hard for some cities. Right. Right. Well, and, you know, every every city has its own. Well, it has its own risk profile. It has its own um, mm-hmm. uh, priorities that it's trying to set. So, uh, you know, I can I can understand uh, sometimes the barriers you run into and frustrations for you in pursuing it. Um, and, you know, hopefully having conversations like this just makes it easier for cities to think about what is possible and what those risk factors really are. And if it's a if it's a risk worth taking right to, to pursue it in the market. Um, two, I want to clarify two other things. I just want to make sure as, as we wrap up here, I want to, you know, make this very real and also get into a little bit of a nerd factor. I keep becoming a victim of my nerdiness. Uh, first, how, so you've already, you said you've laid, uh, a million feet of, of fiber already. I, I'd have to give with our construction guys, but I think we're very quickly approaching almost 2 million feet. Okay. Um, we, and we so have what half the city completed and we're due to complete the rest and by july of next year okay so that was really where i was going to go so you've done about half the city at this point correct and you started when we started uh it'll be a two-year project so we started in um the summer of 21. so two two years of i'm sorry okay so essentially to get to all the households in the city which you said is about sixty thousand. It's mm-hmm. about a two-year, and of course, that also varies because some cities are more spread out than others, to be fair. So uh, right. you're roughly looking at doing 4 million feet of fiber optic laydown to get to every household in the community, and that's going to take about two years of uh, disruption uh, while you do your micro-trenching and get through the streets and lay the fiber. That's a fair summary of the facts? 
Absolutely. Okay. Um, uh, and then just last question, and Patty, this uh, you you may be intimately familiar with this too, but uh, Jim, the the question is. Uh, why fiber versus other technology? Like, there's we hear a lot of talk about you know various cell phone service providers providing 5G technology that's going to you know eliminate the need for fiber, right? That's been a theoretical uh, game changer. Um, and why does that not make sense? Why does that not work? Or what's the difference between fiber and wireless? I, I think it's the demand load. You know, in, in the cable industry, I always call it the five o'clock center. People would get home from work pre-pandemic days at five o'clock and their internet would start to slow down as the neighborhoods start getting you know, full of people. And that was because the technology of copper just couldn't handle that many people drawing bandwidth at the same time. And wireless is very similar to that. It's a radio frequency through the air, just like the cable company is a radio frequency through a piece of copper. And those radio frequencies can only handle so much bandwidth. When you get to fiber, it's not unlimited, but it is darn close to unlimited in our today's technology. And that means the glass is always going to be the same. We're shooting light through glass and the light goes at different waves. And when we increase from one gig at your house to the 10 gig, it's just us changing the, the router out of the house and the optics out on our side. So it's very cost effective for us to keep continuing to go from 10 gig to 20 gig to 100 gig to a home. Yeah, I, I might, and so my take on that is, I mean, it's speed of light, which is incredible. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, and where we keep seeing innovation and fiber is in those routers, in the lasers, in the wavelength modulation and the algorithms that interpret it, that just keep increasing the capacity to put more data through fiber optic. And so the medium itself doesn't become the limiting factor. It's really limited by evolutions of the technology on either end of that piece of glass that really allow it to be such a scalable, long-term, future-proof technology from my perspective. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Um, well, I, I'm excited for what race is up to in Lancaster. I'm excited for the community of Lancaster, and I appreciate Patty and the team's innovation um, introducing race communications and partnering with you guys in the community to make this stuff happen. Patty, um, if people want to talk to you about your experience there from the city staff side, What's the best way for them to get a hold of you? Uh, email. Uh, they can call the city. I'm pretty easy to find. Um, LinkedIn. They what's can your call email address? Pigeons, whatever. What, what's, what's your email address? <laughs> it's pgarvey at cityoflancasterca.gov. All right. And uh, Jim, if people want to call you up and say, please come to my city and come talk to our team, we'd love to understand how to uh, put fiber in front of the, every residential uh, every every residence and business in our community, how do they get a hold of you? Sure. They can email me at jmiller at race.com or my direct line is 661-749-0911. Awesome. Okay. Well, that's today's report. My thanks to Patty and Jim for joining us from the whole public CO team and myself, Ryder Todd Smith. Thank you for your time. We hope you learned something new and inspiring that will help you in your public service. Remember, Public CEO has a daily newsletter that is free to those who sign up at publicceo.com. If you have feedback, questions, or guest suggestions for Public CEO Report, please email editor at publicceo.com.